Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. In this special combined post-game and main episode, I am joined by Samrin right after Bayern Munich have beaten Union Berlin 3-0. So, Samrin, how are you doing today? I'm good. I just, uh, we just finished watching the game, both of us, and I'm a... I'm astounded by how well Bayern performed, but not really because this team can actually pick itself. But at the same time, I'm a little saddened that such a headline clash turned out to be such a one-way traffic kind of game. But I cannot say that I'm surprised. Union Berlin did play Ajax on Thursday and it was a very emotional game. And then they come into this and they don't have the biggest of squads. So how are you feeling about well, this I'm, game? I'm, about I'm, the playing, I'm feeling incredible because come on, this is... <laughs> First of all, first of all, the lineup, just think about it, okay? This is what I've been asking for for weeks, right? For, not just weeks, for months. This is the lineup. Like, there were some details that were different, but what did we get? We got a 4-2-3-1, right? We got Chupa Moting up mm-hmm. top, Thomas Muller behind him, Jamal Muziala on the wing. Not exactly on the wing, but we'll get to that later. Then Kingsley Coman on the right. Then we had Kimmich and Goretzka as the like a double pivot, not exactly a double pivot. Again, we'll talk about that later. Then back four consisting of Pavard and Delict, who basically because Upamecano was suspended and Davies on the left, Stanisic on the right and Sommer in goal. So I think this is this is it. This is the setup that I have been wanting Bayern to do. Like some details were different. I said Sane should be on the right and Coman played, but that's just based on stuff like form, right? Because Coman has been in good form and Sane hasn't. But we got Thomas Muller in his usual position and guess what happens? He he gets two assists. Maybe he could have had two goals, but uh, we won't mention that for reasons. And honestly, this is one of our most... In fact, I will go out and say that this was our most dominant performance of 2023 so far. We did not look like we were surrendering control at any point in the game. There were one or two maybe bad passes, but other than that, nothing was wrong. And I have to remind you that the conditions weren't great at all. You know, um, there's this label with Bayern that keeps coming to my mind. They're called Big Bad Bayern. And when we won the Champions League in 2013, there was an article titled something like Big Bad Bayern finally have their day. And this literally reminded me of Big Bad Bayern. Like when it comes... When it comes to games like this, when Bayern has to show up, more often than not, they do. But just going back to your comments about the lineup in, and I would love for you to go deeper into it, the 4-2-3-1 is not the invention of a genius. Exactly. No. Nagelsmann has just, he's just played this trick on our minds where he makes the team perform really poorly, but he picks the right lineup that he was supposed to pick all along anyway. Now it makes him seem like a genius because all of a sudden we beat Union Berlin, which is been one of the toughest teams to break down in the Bundesliga no, by everybody, basically. Nobody really gets out of Copenhagen with a win. Yesterday we were in Bavaria, but still. And um, I wouldn't say he exactly comes out looking like a genius out of this one, but um, I guess I'm going to give him measly amount of credit and say he made the right choices. But also it's that theme that you were referring to. When Nagelsmann gets into trouble, he reverts back. He calls Thomas Muller back into the lineup and he goes back to what it always should have been. And um, I know it's a little too early to worry and we should be celebrating this, but I really hope he sticks to it. I don't know exactly. if he will. This is, this is the main thing, right? Because the main takeaway from this is that this is something that works. We want to see more of it, right? Because you look at how Nagelsmann usually goes. He does one thing 
Okay, and then it, if it works, he doesn't stick to it. He uses it for maybe one or two games, and then he immediately changes it up. And then again, he changes. And again, it's always been that way. We have been experimenting for almost two years now, and we still don't know what our best starting 11 is. We don't know what our best formation is even, which is an even bigger headache. I just don't see that being viable, especially this late into this season, where we have, in my opinion, such a good squad and so much potential to do so much in both the league and the Champions League. So that's just what I hope. As same as you, I just hope that he doesn't do that same thing. He just sticks with this, you know, this sort of emergency lineup where he could not afford to fail. Because if you think about it, if this is your go-to in the case of an emergency, why not just play it from the start? Just don't don't wait for the emergency first. Just just I don't know how to say it, but just 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 don't mess around with random stuff and just stick to what we know works. Literally, this guy has been trying to like reinvent the wheel when there was no need for reinvention. There are times when reinvention is necessary. When we lost basically everything in 2012, reinvention was necessary. That's not the case now. This team had been doing quite well before he came. And Flick wasn't fired, he resigned. It wasn't as if the team was in a terrible position before Nagelsmann came along. But moving on from him, we did sign Matthias De Ligt this season. He was one of many standout performers. I can't actually think of a poor performer. Um, maybe, you know, I'm going to give Sané some stick for like literally leading to a Union Berlin very champions. long, so. Yeah, yeah. So he came on, it happens. So... Delict was one of the standard performers at the back. I really liked what Jan Sommer did. I know he barely got the ball, but he always seemed so assured. And I really liked that about him. But yeah, let's discuss the standout man at the back, Delict. I thought he was excellent today. What did you think? I thought he actually surprised me. He surprised me this season because I thought it would take him longer to adjust to our style of play after coming from Juventus. But it didn't take him very long at all. I think he's been benefiting from Lucas Anandes being out because that lack of competition has allowed him to settle in and just make that centre-back position his own. He lacks pace, right? He's not very fast, but his positioning and his aggressiveness in defending, his aggressiveness is something that really needs to be pointed out. Those things have been so vital for us to keeping clean sheets at the back. I don't know how to really categorize this because it's a little bit like the way he's had an impact is a little bit unexpected to me. I did not expect someone like him to be like so solid at the back, honestly. I was expecting something more Boateng-esque where he would be extremely good at passing the ball, you know, recycling position, that kind of thing. And maybe, you know, have the occasional brain fart at the back, which is, you know, can be forgiven. It happens with Bayern Munich defenders, usually dominate possession, all that. He doesn't really do that. He lets other players generally pass forward. He does pass forward a lot himself, but he's not a long ball merchant. He's not really that kind of player. He's more of a dominate the area inside the penalty box kind of player. He is incredibly good at winning physical duels and headers. My goodness, with headers, like he just doesn't lose them. His prowess in the box with set pieces and stuff, it basically makes our penalty box almost a no-go area for opponents in that kind of, like in those kinds of situations where opponents might cross. And given how high value crossing is for opposition teams in terms of scoring chances, his contribution has been invaluable despite the fact that he has not much pace. I'm just like, I'm blown away by how effective he is in the role that he's been given. I think that when Lucas Hernandez comes back, he might not actually have an easy time getting back into the squad because Delic right now, 
wow, he is solid as a rock. I think um, on Lucas coming back, when we do need somebody who's a little bit faster, yes. I would probably go with Lucas. But right now, you know, when De- when we signed Delict, I thought he would be like a Daniel Van Byten type of defender, solid on the slower side, very aggressive. So he is aggressive, but I thought him being on the slower side would catch up with him. And it's not happened, especially when he's paired up with Upamecano, who's quite fast. Yeah. It doesn't seem to really bother Delict. I thought both of them against PSG, the backline did a solid job, for example. And yeah. I was not really expecting that. Yeah, the last 15 minutes aside, when it was just Harakiri. But um, another guy I want to just touch on is Stanisic. He was kind of a surprising inclusion. I did not really expect to see him. Did you expect to see him in the lineup? Uh, no one did. I don't think we expected it. And none of the publications build Sky, none of them had him in the lineup. So it was completely out of left field from that one. The weird thing about Stanisic is there's never much to talk about the guy because he's just solid. Yeah. He, he comes on, he, he does his job, he doesn't really make mistakes, and he goes off. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of, but if you look at the stats, the amount that we attacked down the right-hand flank, Yeah. apparently we attacked almost 40% of our attacks went down the right-hand flank. And that's not just down to Kingsley Coman, right? Because we've seen games where Kingsley Coman has played right wing and it's not that dominant on that one side. Stanisic... When he plays, he's so good at moving the ball forward, keeping the attacks flowing. He positions himself well to like, you know, it's I I know that people said that he wasn't as aggressive as Davis today. And I'll agree. But that doesn't mean he was passive. He wasn't a passive right back. He's very good at initiating attacks from his side of the pitch and keeping everything very balanced in terms of how Bayern Munich shape looks. That's why I like him as a right back over someone like Benjamin Pavard. And he's more defensively solid than someone like Joao Cancelo. So until Matsraoui comes back, Stanisic is looking like the most solid right back candidate at Bayern right now. Maybe Cancelo could have done more today simply because Union did not attack all that much. So maybe Cancelo's all-out offensive right-back style could have worked better. But I think Stanisic had a really good, quiet, but good game. And it's just a shame that Bayern Munich has so many right-back candidates. You think about, like, we have Matsraoui, we have Cancelo, we have Pavard, we have Kimmich. Um, at that start, that Stanisic is basically like, he almost has no chance to start, despite how good he is. If, if he played for another Bundesliga team, I think he would be starting right now. And that's... The thing that despite that side being so crowded, you know, when there are injuries and when there are issues, Stanisic has actually been in a fair number of games and had more game time this season than I would have thought. Also, what you mentioned about him doing really well and starting attacks on the right, I think the figure was over 50% of Bayern's attacks came down the right at some point. It was like 52% on the graphic that they were showing on my end. There was this one moment where I just saw him cut in field and just pass the ball and then just track back. And that's that's the kind of player he is. He starts things, he goes back, and he waits. So in a way, in a sense, he is a bit more attack-minded than Pavar. Pavar used to just like sit there and like not yeah. do anything, like exactly. nullify that side. But the other thing I do want to add is I think Nagelsmann might have gone with Stanisic over Cancelo because down that side for Union was Jeremy Roussillon. And when Roussillon was at Wolfsburg, he I could I would see him put in a fair number of crosses. So maybe to nullify that threat. Nagelsmann decided to go with Stanisic over Cancelo. But listen, if I needed a more defensive option, I would go with Stanisic over Cancelo. Yep, exactly. Especially since 
Pavard had to play at center back today. Yeah. What do we have to say about the other defenders? Because I don't think there's much to say about Pavard. He was just solid today. What about Davies? I thought Davies did well. I didn't think it was anything beyond what Davies usually does. Instigated some attacks, came in, looked dangerous. He was. He I was thought good. he was actually when the ground was covered in snow. I thought he was our best player. Hey, um, he knows how to play in snow. Yeah, I mean, so, he's Canadian, but yeah. isn't beyond that, he could. He was one of the few players who looked like he could dribble and pass through the snow. So, underrated skill, in my opinion. <laughs> we need that in Bavaria. Yeah, he almost got, he almost that. got, like, a pre-assist. Like, he made a perfectly weighted ball to Chupo thing, which Chupo then laid off for Muller, and Muller somehow missed. Again, we don't talk about these things, but that's okay. it happened. He was it so happened. And, 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 there were, and there were, like, two chances where he could have tapped it in, and he didn't. He could have had goals. I think Davies, you know, just one thing I need to mention, like, people have been saying for so long that Davies has been down in 2023, and he hasn't been that good since the World Cup, etc., etc. I just don't agree with those takes i just think that he was not really in a slump he was just performing about as good as he could be expected given the teammates that he was given at the time and the way the team around him was playing and now that the team around him is playing better he's also playing better and it really is that simple i don't think davies was out of form at any point in 2023 it was just like a symptom of the tactics and the way he was being used and this setup with a back four and Jamal Muziala with him, two dribblers on the left-hand side. I think that really, really plays to his strengths. The number of chances he got to attack today, really high. And I think that if he just tightens up his final ball passing and, you know, shot, he could be easily a Trent Alexander-Arnold type, you know, 10, 15, 20 goals and assist uh, season type of player. Yeah. I think what sometimes gets in the way of Davies, Davies's form is the fact that he's so versatile and yeah. he can be used in so many different ways. And he's not going to play every single one of those positions to the highest of levels. You are better at some things than others. I forever believe that Lam was a better right back than he was, um, or was a better fullback than he was a defensive midfielder. So just things like that. And I like you also think from, okay, so I think of it a little bit differently. I don't think he's necessarily been off form. I think Davis's ceiling is just so high. And when he plays to his maximum ability, he's so good that when he's having an okay day where he's just done his job, then everyone's like, oh, he's out of form because we know just how excellent he is when just everything goes right for him. But on a normal average day, he does play well. There is not... Like there's not a single performance that I can look back on this season where I can say this was down to Davies. He made so many mistakes or he made this one crucial mistake. Doesn't happen with him. That's true. And for someone that we have to remember, he's very young. He's still improving every season or at least like making progress every season. Last season, maybe not because of that very concerning problem with his heart, which uh, I have to say that it was good for him to come back from it because it wasn't easy, right? You can't train at all when that is going on. Like you cannot keep yourself fit. So him getting back into fitness and doing all of that, he basically had to start from scratch over there. So people kind of don't appreciate how much of a setback that was. And then again, getting injured right before the World Cup, playing so many games for Canada and Bayern every single week. And in a very demanding position like left back, where he's constantly asked to go up and down the pitch, it's not easy for him. And I think people just need to just... Like, I'm not saying temper your expectations because this is Bayern Munich. High expectations comes with the job. But just have more realistic standards for what you grade as a good performance. Because I've often seen Davies do really well in a game where he was very well 
position defensively and like stopped a few counters, stopped a few goals. And people say he's kind of all over the place because he wasn't having as good of a game in attack. That kind of thing I don't get, you know, and it's kind of kind of bothers me that then these same people will then go around and say, oh, Davies, he's usually an offensive fullback and he's not doing much offensively, but he's also not good defensively because that's not uh, an accurate assessment. He's usually very good defensively. And we always see that in his defensive displays. Often teams will literally change formation just to make sure that their best attacker is not paired up against Davies and completely nullified. So that's just one of the many things I have to say about Davies. I probably don't want to make this too heavy on him because there are other things to discuss, but Davies is kind of an enigma in terms of how he's discussed at the Bayern fan base. I hope that the narratives around him start to change a little. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Another player who has kind of split the fan base lately is Joshua Kimmich. So I want to get your take on how you think he did today. I think he was amazing. Monster, literally. Like, nothing could get past him. He was, this is the perfect role for Joshua Kimmich, right? He was number six, right in front of like i've seen people call this a back three why isn't it a back three there is one single reason in a back three there will be a center back in the middle in the back four you will see the center backs out wide and the number six dropping deep between the center backs that's Mm -hmm. what we saw kimmick doing today when by needed to pass forward it wasn't on the center backs to do it they gave it to kimmick who could then find the pass forward or carry the ball forward and it was so much better for our build-up, right? Second is defensively. Defensively, when our fullbacks were up and engaged with an opposition attacker, if they were at risk of getting dispossessed or if the press on that side was at risk of getting, you know, overwhelmed, then either Kimmich or Goretzka would be either up there putting pressure on the opposition or back ready to intercept any loose balls that get tried to get played behind the defenders. I saw Kimmich covering for both Delict and Pavard so many times by just moving from his number six position out wide or centrally when Delict or Pavard were out wide. It was a great use of what Kimmich has, which is his anticipation, his sense of positioning, his mobility. And then when he gets the ball back, he is in such a good position because he has the entire field in front of him. He can just launch counterattack from there or just recycle position. So I think that this is absolutely the best way to use Joshua Kimmich. And I hope he knows this and I hope he advocates for this with Nagelsmann. It's a very demanding position because it makes him really think about all of his moves and how he is going to be constantly moving between his players and who he's passing to and where everyone is. But it's very rewarding for the team when he can play well. And I think he played well today. That being said, also part of it is down to the fact that Goretzka was next to him and Goretzka was playing really well off Kimmich as well. So it's like they they kind of elevate each other, right? When Goretzka and Kimmich are played properly and played well in their natural positions, they elevate each other to heights that they cannot achieve alone. Like Kimmich and Sabitzer together never had this kind of performance, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to mention one other thing about Goretzka. I think you covered it. Um, That sometimes my baseline for Kimmich's performance is on how much Goretzka attacks. I think when Kimmich does well, it gives Goretzka more freedom to be a proper box-to-box and just join the attack many times. And when I saw Gretzka take shots time and time again today, that's when I knew that things with Kimmich were okay because it allowed Goretzka to progress further down the field. So I love that role for Kimmich where he drops in between the two center backs at the back when Bayern is moving forward. And the other 
cool thing about Kimmich in this role is it allows him to make those passes that you were talking about, those floating passes to Coman or those floating passes to Chupa Moting. And that'll just like open up the opposition's defense. I thought Kimmich was very good. I thought Goretzka was excellent. I think they are greater than than they are individually when they play together, like you mentioned. And again, I really hope Nagelsmann sticks with this double pivot and doesn't just stick Kimmich in there in a 4-1-4-1, which I really don't think works very well for Kimmich because he's just not that press resistant. Well, I would say that Kimmich is press resistant in certain aspects because like in the pivot, he can afford to be a little boy more, how should I say it? A little bit more, he has more options basically in the pivot. Whereas in like, sorry, in a double pivot, whereas in a single lone pivot, he has more pressure put on him and that just makes it much more difficult for him to pass forward and be involved in the game. That's why I agree that Kimmich and Goretzka together, they make a good partnership, a good pairing, and we need to see more of it. I just think that honestly, this entire lineup, we need to see more of it. It might, it might <laughs> yeah. not... Because it, it gets everything. It takes all the boxes, right? And it's nothing new. That's that's something we have to keep emphasizing. It's nothing new. It's just stuff we've seen under Flick, under Yip, under Pep. All of them have used this. And it's it, it's for a reason. It's the most efficient use of our talent. And by talent, I mean Thomas Muller, who, again, maybe we should talk about Thomas Muller now. Yes, yes, 100%. I know you've been dying to do this in. Yes. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you take this away and wax lyrical about this guy. I love him, but you go ahead and tell us. Listen, okay, look, there were, right <laughs> after Thomas Muller missed that one chance, like it was five, six minutes into the game, people were like, yeah. see, this is why Muller doesn't start. They see, this is why oh, Nagelsmann stopped him off. This is why he is a liability in a fan. It's just so infuriating because what did Muller do? Literally a few not a few, okay, it was around 30th or something minute. He got an assist for, who was it, Kingsley Coman? Yeah. yeah. And it was the classic Muller assist. People tell me that we need guys like, you know, Gnabry and Coman and etc. on the pitch to make our attacks go faster. That Look at that assist by mm-hmm. Muller and tell me, is there anyone on the planet who can make a pass like that? Just one touch within a second. It is literally at Coman's feet and he is next to the goalkeeper. That is what speed means at the top level of football. It's not about pace, okay? It's about how fast you move the ball. And Thomas Muller literally moves the ball with a single touch. Then you have the second assist. The second assist is the other of Muller's great attributes, his tenacity. He followed that. He's not particularly fast, right? But he was after that ball right to the last minute and he managed to square it for Muziala to tap in. That is the other thing that Muller offers. That goal we remember against Baham, yeah? yeah? He was pressing yeah. down the goalkeeper in a position that the goalkeeper would never be expecting to pass down. Whenever we play without him, you can see opposition goalkeepers, opposition defenders have it much easier because they're not being pressed as much. That is something that he brings to the table. His tenacity that he only he can bring. And not only that, if you look at the build-up to the first goal that we scored, okay, what happened? When Kimmich gets the ball, look at Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller points at Kingsley Coman. Okay? Yeah. I'm serious. I Thomas saw Muller that. points. Yeah, I, I Thomas saw Muller that. Points, yeah. yeah. Thomas Muller points at Kingsley Coman. And Kimmich immediately passes to him. Kimmich doesn't even have to look at Coman. Kimmich just yeah. passes there because he sees Muller is pointing. And that, that must mean that someone's there. And then Coman gets the ball right on time to get the assist. And again, Chupo, they can't mark Chupo as strongly as they would because Thomas Muller is right in front of them. If they 
go and stick to Thomas Muller. They can't mark Chupa as much. Thomas Muller, therefore, took another defender out of the equation. This might feel like a very small nitpicky thing, right? But at top level football, it's a huge deal because it's such a game of fine margins, right? And Thomas Muller gets you those fine margins. He got them today. He can get them in every single game. And I cannot, cannot believe that Nagelsmann didn't start him versus PSG and stopped him off versus Gladbach. I just don't understand why he does this. The PSG game, one of our prime problems was that we did not move the ball quick enough in the first half. And Thomas Muller was the perfect antidote to that. And then Nagelsmann did not start him. And a 1-0 lead is very risky. Very risky. But especially when PSG were there for the taking. So I've heard people applaud Nagelsmann for this. Yeah, great. But uh, this was one of the worst PSG teams I have seen in a long time. Yeah, their defense was right, yeah. wide open, right? We, Literally. we just did not do anything with all the possession we had. We didn't take advantage of it. But on Muller, like you said, he makes everybody around him better. Chupo has a better game because Muller takes a defender out of the equation. Musiala has a better game when Muller is in the lineup as well. And I think the other important thing is, yeah, Sané, Gnabry, all of these guys are much faster than Muller, like you said. But one of the chief complaints we have about Sané and even Musiala sometimes is that they hold up the ball for too long and then it slows down the attack. Muller's the guy who keeps things moving. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this. I think this is from the 2010 World Cup. It's either Argentina or England. I'm going to say Argentina. Oh, I don't remember this. But... Maybe you've seen a clip of this somewhere. Muller's on the floor. Basically, he's been knocked off and he still passes the ball and it's an assistant identical. It's a remarkable moment where he's literally on the floor and he manages to pass it and just keep the attack moving. This is very young Muller, 2010, like first breakout season, I would say. He's been doing this a long time and I don't know why coaches time and time and time again think it's a good idea to get this guy out. But for as long as he is performing up to his levels, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I really did not. I thought Gladbach were there for the taking. I watched Gladbach a lot. It was 3-2 yeah. in the end. It wasn't like they yeah. completely paid us off the park. It wasn't 5-0. It was 3-2. Yeah. And Bayern created a fair number of chances too. And I really think if he left Muller on there, we would, if not gotten three points, it's not unheard of if Bayern goes down to 10. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like we haven't done it before. A man down and won 4-0. Um, Stuttgart, hello, hi. But yeah, yeah. so that's that's my thoughts on Muller. Um, anything you want to add on about maybe uh, Muller and Chupo up front, who I thought was very good today? Chupo plays, he's been playing really well all season. And yeah. I understand why. I think people were, again, when we didn't go, we, we didn't score in the first 30 minutes or so, and people were like, we need to get a new striker, okay? I, I just didn't understand <laughs> that, because Chupo did not have that many chances. He doesn't get that, he doesn't get like two, 10, 15 chances a game to score these one, two goals that he scores. He scores from just two or three chances, right? He's pretty clinical. And yeah. what what more can you ask of him? He's clinical, he does his hold-up play, he does his link-up play, he seems to understand the tactics really well. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely don't know what more you can ask of him from a striker. Like, yeah. he's not even on a high salary. It's just like, yeah, he's not scoring at Lewandowski rates, but he's not getting chances at Lewandowski rates either. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what more do you ask? What I can't ask for anything more than this. 100%. I think one thing I really like about Chupo that has always surprised me is just the fact that he was a backup for two years. And yet whenever he would come into the team, he would just seamlessly blend in with the attack. He knows where everybody is and he knows where to collect the ball. And I thought that it was very difficult for Union Berlin today to take care of Chupo because whenever they tried a high ball and it would get intercepted, Chupo's hold up play meant that Union was always on their toes and could never really instigate a proper attack. 
Chupo was a real thorn in their side today. And he is for most teams, but he's made better by Muller. So please play Muller behind him because then Chupo works better and scores more goals. Yeah, that's exactly. And I guess the last thing we have to talk about are the two wingers. Kingsley Coman, how, oh, wow. how good has he been <laughs> in 2023? Wow. I'm... Honestly, a little bit worried now because whenever Coman gets in this kind of form, you know what happens. <laughs> yeah, I uh, know. I know. I'm glad that Nagelsmann subbed him, subbed him uh, yeah. off at the around the 60th minute because I was getting a little bit worried. It was snowing, cold. You know, yeah, <laughs> just, too. just, yeah, just wrap, right, wrap him in bubble wrap. Like, just don't, don't risk him because his crosses. I don't know. Is he is he taking lessons from Cancelo? <laughs> his crosses are so good now. Man, um, you know, this it's is, funny. This is a I mythical, was, uh, this is like a mythical yeah. crossing command, right? Yeah. I was looking at his who scored rating and they gave him a 9.5. <laughs> like, he was so good. I think even on, like, even when he's not in his day, I really do think he's the best of our wingers. Like, natural talent-wise, maybe it's Sane, but, like, just production-wise, understanding-wise, and just how hard he tries. I would give it to Coman any day. Well, how did, what do you think of winger Moziala? I thought, oh man, that's a hard one. I thought he was very good, but I also don't think he was a classic winger. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, that was I gonna. Yeah, that was, that's what I was gonna say because yeah. I thought that he was almost playing like a pseudo number ten, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like he was often next to Thomas Muller in the build-up, or if not Thomas Muller, if Thomas Muller was further up the pitch, then he was next to Leon Goretzka, who had moved up the pitch by that point, right? At so some point, that's uh, kind Thomas of Muller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you think about it, like with Alfonso Davies moving up that far up the pitch, Moziala, there is no necessarily no need for him to hug the touchline. And the moments that he go- did go to the touchline, it created an amazing overload and he was able to get behind the defense of Union Berlin or, you know, just pass it off to Davies who could make the cross. But it's not necessary for him. And that's why he was able to play in what I would categorize as his preferred role in the middle while still being on the pitch with Thomas Muller as a proper attacking midfielder mm-hmm. and yeah and he still got the freedom to go out on the wings if he wanted to and interchange with Davies so this is like I know that people have been questioning the theory behind Moziala playing on the wing but I think this should put it to bed he can play on the wing and he can do really well there and this was just a start I think he can do much more if given the chance yeah so based on what we've discussed today Samrin tell me what you think do you think that this is the, you know, setup that Nagelsmann should field for the coming rest of the season, really? I mean, when I saw that lineup, I figured this was going to be the setup. And I actually thought even before the game, but heck, you would tell me that I was going to jinx it if I said something, that Brian was absolutely going to play. Because you always do. Oh my goodness. Like, I thought this was going to end. I saw the lineup and I'm like, 3-0, 4-0 in my head. And I am a big believer in this system in the 4-2-3-1. I'm a big believer in having Chupo, Muller, Muziala, Goreska, Kimek in the same lineup in the exact positions that they played today. I would love to see this continue. I don't will know. Nagelsmann, will Nagelsmann, yeah. Will Nagelsmann continue it? I actually don't think so. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the thing with Nagelsmann is, and you know, many, many folks are going to go ahead and disagree with me here, is that he really wants to put his own stamp on the team. And whether that's good for the team or not, I don't think is always at the top of his mind. Yeah, of course, he wants to go out and win games, but he also wants to do them in a way that he likes. And that may not necessarily be the best way for Bayern. For example, the PSG game, we took a result we won, but it wasn't really an ideal performance from the attack, particularly. So 
I don't, Nagelsmann knows more than any other Bayern coach ever did that his job is safe. He has already gotten away with more bad performances than I've ever seen a Bayern coach get away with. The leash was shorter for Ancelotti, for Kovac, for for even like guys like Jupp Heynckes, who had been legendary. Like there was a question mark after what happened in 11 to 12. And heck, Bayern got to the Champions League final. We're very, very unlucky to lose that one. So he knows the leash is longer with him. I think when push comes to shove, like it did today, he will revert to this setup. He knows it works. I don't know if he necessarily wants to stick to this. I think he really is stuck to the idea of a back three. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I have I have my doubts. And the, the problem is, next up is Stuttgart. I almost wish we were playing Borussia Dortmund next week. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Because it gives less time for Nagelsmann to mess things up. Mm-hmm. And if and, we were playing Dortmund yeah. next week, he would stick to this. But he's, yeah. yeah. Because if he plays Stuttgart, then he can, you know, get another good performance under his belt. And then he, he almost seems to like build up good karma and then use it use it up when he <laughs> experiments. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like he, he builds up a little bit of goodwill from the fan base by getting good results. And then he expends it by a few bad results where he experiments and then he again starts building it up again. He knows how to get the best out of his team. I do not doubt for a second that he doesn't. But he also has ideas and ideas are dangerous because he thinks that he thinks that he can get a little bit more if he just experiments and he just gets this one thing performs exactly how he envisions it. And for him right now, I think that he's never settled on a good enough kind of policy because he does not actually think that this setup that we saw today is good enough for his goals as Bayern Munich coach. He thinks that he can do better. And when that better fails, he's frustrated because he just can't seem to figure out why that particular thing doesn't click. And to be fair to him, it's not quite obvious to me either. Like I can sit here and say it's because Thomas Muller isn't playing or it's because of the back three, but I can't make uh, a tactical analysis good enough to satisfy someone of Nagelsmann's caliber who can literally break down a football game the same way I can break down a spreadsheet, right? So because of that, I understand why Nagelsmann may be frustrated and maybe reluctant to stick to this kind of setup, but I wish he would just be a little bit practical and put his ideas to the side and stick with this for a little while, okay? Just just don't mess things up. I know that Sadio Mane is back in the lineup. Don't bench Chup over Sadio Mane. Don't do that kind of thing. Don't move Mulia. Mo- Why did I say Mulia? Muziala out of the lineup. Don't move Mus- Muller out of the lineup. Don't do those things. Just adhere to the principles that you set, the performance principles, and just, I know that there's going to be some friction in the dressing room because of this, because certain players are not going to be happy about their minutes, but he needs to he needs to be pragmatic about this, and it's about time in the season that we start getting good results consistently. No more time for experimentation. If we get past PSG, the Champions League quarterfinals are not very far away, then semis and then final. So granted that we are not guaranteed to make it that far, but he needs to start getting the results so that we can be in a good shot of getting as far as we can in those big competitions that we hired him for. We didn't just hire him to win the Bundesliga. Exactly that. In fact, he is the one manager at Bayern who reminds me the most of Pep. That yeah. uh, the other day against Leipzig, one big problem that City had was their underutilization of Holland. Holland, yes. Yeah. And why? Well, you know. De Bruyne yeah. wasn't playing. 
De Bruyne wasn't, wasn't playing, playing. that and he's the only guy who passes down it. So exactly, they they sometimes forget that he exists. Yeah. Just based on Man City's performances in the Champions League over the last couple of years and Pep's over tinkering, they've been a brilliant side. And this over tinkering has led to problems. And Nagelsmann does has the habit of doing the same thing. It has not only led to like friction in the fan base, it has also led to friction in the dressing room. So. And in in terms of keeping everybody happy with fewer minutes, hey, that's he's the manager. He has to be a good man manager. That's his job. Older coaches at Bayern, like um, Heinkes Hitzfeld, they were very good man managers. And Nagelsmann's got to learn to do that. Um, yes, he's very young and he's been given a huge responsibility. But his first priority is to make sure the team is playing its best football. And this this lineup, this formation, maybe with a few like changes here and there sometimes form wise this is the way to go and if he doesn't then that's on him exactly i think that because this this game it was not just a game it was a statement win right because yeah. union berlin look at them they are they were level on points with us coming to, into this game and mm-hmm. they just beat ajax pretty easily in the europa league and they are in the europa league round of 16 that mm-hmm. is no joke right this season yeah. in fact like just you think about the bundesliga in general it's no joke. It's really challenging to be in the Bundesliga. It's not like the league that Nagelsmann won last season. This year, you have likes of RB Leipzig, who can't really stick together three consistent performances in the league. They managed to take it to Man City, and they could have won that game. It yeah, was only 1-1, one, one, but too. they could have easily won that game. Then you have Dortmund. They beat Chelsea. Again, beating Chelsea is not a big deal, but... <laughs> Dortmunds of yesteryear, they used to lose to pretty much anyone. And now they can actually go out and beat Chelsea and they can have nine wins in a row. So it's a different Dortmund as well. It's a different, like, it's a different vibe of the Bundesliga. Freiburg, they topped their Europa League group without even losing a game. And now they're going to go up against Juventus. And for once, it doesn't feel like Freiburg are going to get, like, spanked. Like, it doesn't feel like the Bundesliga team is massively underpowered in that tie. They could... They could beat Juventus. Bayer Leverkusen, they have been terrible this season. They have been terrible in the league as well. But they managed mm-hmm. to dispatch AS Monaco, who are very good in mm-hmm. Ligue 1. I like Monaco. They completely crushed PSG, something that we couldn't do. And Bayer Leverkusen went to their home stadium and beat them and then beat them on penalties, despite being absolutely terrible in the league. So the Bundesliga, I feel that this season, not only is it more competitive, domestically as in top mm-hmm. to bottom but also yeah. just overall compared to every other team in like every other league in Europe it's just there is a higher concentration of good teams not necessarily talented teams but good teams yeah yeah i think um just looking at the table union berlin has 13 wins to their name so does bayern dortmund has 15 wins to their name this season it's the weird losses like to werder bremen like way back when yeah. that's really like led to Dortmund actually being second on goal difference and they would have been top right now had it not been for defeats like that but just on the quality of the league I also think one big thing that it comes down to is the consistency of management the last time the Bundesliga was this strong there was a Russian roulette with all the managers started by Dortmund taking out yeah. Rosa and there was like an all-around collapse and Gladbach still hasn't haven't recovered from that collapse so <laughs> let's okay okay I know I know but hey this still be Bayern right so yeah. yeah this is the only team who can do that for whatever reason but okay we won't dwell on that too long and just looking at the top six um Dortmund hired a manager who's already won a cup with them yeah Leipzig hired a Red Bull guy yeah Freiburg have 
had the same manager to for like it feels like the last hundred years, almost like the last decade or so. Frankfurt has had great consistency. Listen, they didn't have um a great season last season. They might have won the Europa won League, the- but they were yeah, they were terrible in the league. In the league, but yeah. Yeah, the Frankfurt are a cup team, so yeah. But look at what happened. They stuck by their manager. Yeah. While they're not in the title race proper, they're still very much in the race for a Champions League spot. And Union Berlin, the, the weirdest thing about Union Berlin is simply their consistency. They don't really change much of what they do anywhere. And they stick to the game plan. Some days it works really well. Some days it doesn't. But I would argue that on most days it works. And I think the biggest lesson for the Bundesliga out of this is stop messing around with good managers. Stick to what you have. It yields results for the league. That's interesting because for me, I was thinking that part of the lesson for this is that the Bundesliga should be changing managers more often, <laughs> you know, because really? if, if, if these, if Dortmund hadn't messed around with Marco Rosa or if RB Leipzig hadn't messed around with Jesse Marsh and Tedesco uh, and just yeah. move straight to Marco Rosa or this kind of thing. Okay. If yeah. they'd done these things, they would have been as successful a little bit earlier. And obviously, there's also Bayern Munich. I, I advocate sacking Nagelsmann every other week. So <laughs> this, not this week. Not this week. He just won a game. But I advocate. <laughs> and not just Nagelsmann, every coach except Hansi Flick because I worship the ground Hansi walks on. But um, <laughs> I just think that uh, like the Bundesliga should be... Uh, it's kind of showing now. Part of the reason that the Bundesliga feels strong is that the rest of Europe is kind of weak. Like the Premier League... They're still strong, right? But you look at La Liga. La Liga feels a lot weaker from top to bottom because at the moment, they are suffering not just from the massive talent drain. Like The Premier League is no longer buying from La Liga. Why? Because there's not really that much top-level talent to go around anymore. No one that's really worth that 100, 200 million kind of, you know, transfer fee. Same thing goes for Serie A, which is also struggling due to all the scandals around Juventus and the fact that their TV deal is slowly falling behind the rest of Europe. And on top of that, they have the aging infrastructure, aging stadiums, problems with cultural problems with racism and stuff like that. This is all being reflected on the pitch. Those two leagues are slowly losing their vitality. And then there's Ligue 1, which is nowhere near the Bundesliga to just begin with. Like people say that there is a top five leagues, but it's usually more like a top four. And then Ligue 1 is a distant fifth. And it's often tied with like the Eredivisie and the Portuguese Primera Division. It's not usually counted. Like results-wise, it's never been that close to the top four leagues. So Ligue 1 is different in that sense as well. That's why I think that the Bundesliga right now, it is in a very good place. It's very healthy. The teams are very good. They play good football that people will want to watch. And mm-hmm. the title race is just a symptom of that because Bayern slipped up a little bit this season and the other teams, they were just in a good position to capitalize. 100%. And I think the story of Union Berlin is not really one that could have happened in any other league without like a sizable financial backing, backing coming yeah. in. Yeah, Le- it happened with Leicester, but they did... They- they, they got a lot of yeah they they get a lot of money invested from yeah. their owners so it's not it's not exactly like people say that union berlin is a less story it's not exactly it's not. It's, it's perfectly unique because it's a fan owned club their revenue is tiny compared to a team like resta and they don't have the ability to raise funds very easily so but that also yeah. means that they can get ripped apart in the upcoming transfer windows. But I don't think that's going to happen necessarily because when I yeah. look at Union Berlin, I see a squad that is much larger than the sum of their parts. 
and also 100%. because of that, I don't see any specific player that is going to be picked up by an op- opposing big team and, you know, go to the EPL or whatever. Like, I don't see anyone who is a major candidate for that to happen. So they could keep up this pretty much for a while. They may not may never have the kind of depth to go the distance in multiple competitions. Like today, we saw them getting a lot of injuries against Bayern. Mm-hmm. And that's probably down to the fact that they played 90 minutes against Ajax in yeah. midweek. So this might be the end of their fairy tale story. I hope it's not, but it might be. Mm-hmm. But they they are quality and they have quality in a solid way because they have a good setup, not just a good set of players. So they can maintain it. And that's yeah. a good sign for the Bundesliga. Yeah, they're still in the cup as well. And look at look at the quality of the cup this season, actually. Most of the teams that have made it out are in the Bundesliga. And they're also, if not fighting for the league title, fighting for a European spot in some shape or form. And the thing about Union Berlin is, like you were saying, some of their players came up with them from the second division. And they probably would never have come to the top division had it not been for a club like Union Berlin. And then be able to play... I mean, listen, Ajax is like... Ajax is not exactly a small team to play. Ajax is gigantic. No matter, no matter where, no matter in which era you play Ajax, beating Ajax is a historical, historical moment for any club, let alone one like Union Berlin. So this story is very uniquely Bundesliga. And maybe like we've heard arguments over the years. It's too early for this, but about dismantling like 50 plus one, allow more foreign um, ownership or just allow more benefactors to come in and take over clubs. But it doesn't always necessarily work out. Even in the Bundesliga, the clubs that are exclusions, the 50 plus one, Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen, they they have some consistency in, in staying in the league and Leverkusen has done well over the years, but they're just marred by inconsistency. It's not like Leverkusen is winning the league every year or ever at all. So it's not necessarily a good idea. And because of 50 plus one, a club like Union Berlin can actually compete. Also, just and, want to give a word to um sorry, and just want to give a word to Dortmund and say they had yeah. a great transfer market, and that's yielding yeah, results now. It is, it is. For once, yeah. they actually bought <laughs> smartly, and the yeah. transfers are actually performing, which is just yeah. it was almost a fairy tale for Dortmund. Their transfers tend to be so terrible, and Bellingham being possibly the best midfielder in the yeah. Bundesliga alongside Kimmich, it is mm-hmm. good for them. I think yeah. that the thing is that. Uh, if you look at how foreign ownership works in leagues outside the Bundesliga, it is a little bit, it's becoming a little bit toxic for La Liga and for Serie A. You look at how many teams that are just either poorly managed or have no real um, reason to invest in the squad or in the infrastructure and just keep wallowing in sort of a negative style of football and a negative style of um running the club. Whereas teams in the Bundesliga, they seem a lot more healthy in terms of what they do. And, it's not compared to the EPL. The EPL has probably the best brand of football at the moment, but a lot of that is down to amount of money that the TV deal gives them. The Bundesliga is more healthy than the other top five leagues in that sense because a lot of the revenue is more organic. It's much more sustainable. And I think that in the long run, the Bundesliga will be one of the few leagues that can really, I don't think challenge EPL dominance, but at least stave it off, you know, compared to teams like teams from Serie A or La Liga. Yeah, yeah. A, a good example. Another thing that the Bundesliga does well is it scouts players really well. Like uh, usually from prime, France, usually from France or Switzerland. Let's not forget yeah. Switzerland. Yeah, like Randall Kolomwani was a free transfer, and Oliver Glasner has relied on him since basically like day one of this season when he came out against Bayern and scored a goal of a nowhere mistake. Like he was a free transfer, and he's whenever he goes. And I really wish I didn't have to say that. I really like. I really hate bringing to the fact 
into the discussion that players are going to leave leave the league. But hey, he might not leave the league. We know a good place for him. Okay, I'm just joking around. But he's going to go for a very high price tag. and They're going to make a good and amount Frankfurt, of money. Well, Frankfurt keep yeah. doing this, right? Because they yeah. did it with Jovic. They did it with Allaire. They did mm-hmm. it with who else was it? Uh, Rebic. They, they keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. Right. Kostic, they keep they keep getting all these money for all these attackers and they still manage to keep being the dominant team that they are, that they have been since ever since Kovac saved them from that relegation flirt yeah. that they had a long time ago. So like just the setups in the Bundesliga, they seem to be really good. And because of that, I, I really like the way the league is shaping up to be right now. I hope that our teams get through, a lot of the teams get through in the round of 16 and get into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. That mm-hmm. might be a very good moment for the Bundesliga because the most we've ever had before this was, I think, two. And having yeah. maybe three, that would be huge. That would be really huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, just that doesn't mean, though, that the overall state of the Bundesliga is, while the overall state is healthy, that does not mean that the league itself is entirely healthy. I just yeah. want to point out teams like Gladbach. Gladbach is easily one of the most Gladbach. talented squads in the league. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, like, then going beating Bayern and then going to Mainz and losing 4-0 is just not the way to do things. I just, I run out of frustrations because they have a really good midfield. I mean, and when you have, look, <laughs> look, you can't have an entirely healthy league. Like, look, every every league has to have a Hertha Berlin and a Gladbach oh, and a Schalke I and a, and all these and all these types of <laughs> all these types of every every league needs a black sheep. So you can't help that. Okay, so <laughs> I think we've recorded long enough. So yeah. you want to do the outro? Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, guys, this has been another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. You've been with Samrin and In. Be sure to stay tuned to Bavarian Podcast Works for all of your up-to-date coverage on Bayern Munich and Germany. Follow us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works, at the Barrel Blog, at Tommy Out of 71, at BFW In and more. Any last thoughts in? Nope. All right. That's it from us. Thank you so much and have a good night.